Area 10 Faith Community meets in the historic Bird Theater in Carytown in Richmond, Virginia. As of August 2nd, we have resumed in-person worship services on Sunday mornings at 10 a.m. We are committed to the health and safety of our families and will continue to offer our simultaneous live stream at youtube.com slash area 10 faith community. We hope you'll join us at the Bird Theater again soon, but in the meantime, we're providing the best possible online experience we can for you. Now, on to this week's message. I'm sure you've had the experience of when you're out traveling, maybe you're in a new city or a new part of town or something, you get lost, right? You're out, you go, oh man, I I took the wrong turn, and then you're lost. And normally we associate that feeling with like, oh, this is not fun, I'm lost, and we get nervous, and what's going to happen to me, and all that kind of stuff. Um, But there's there's a whole thing in travel, there's a whole idea about getting lost on purpose, I don't know if you've experienced this or heard about this, but it's, it's, it's a thing where it's like, hey, when you go to a new place, you know, like, get away from the tourist areas and get away from what the guidebooks tell you and just go wander and get lost on purpose. And, and, and they'll have this serendipitous moment where you'll discover something new. And that sounds, sounds pretty good, right? Like, there's, there's websites devoted to it. In fact, National Geographic gave five tips of how to get lost on purpose. In case you weren't good at getting lost... You can even do it with tips. They've got like a how-to, right? I'll share them with you. Here's, here's five, five tips to get lost on purpose. Ask the neighbors. Ask the people in the neighborhood. Hey, where should we go? And they may send you off in a direction. Ditch the GPS. You know, that thing's always got you locked into where you are. Just get rid of that so you don't really know where you are. Number three, talk to strangers. The very thing you were told in kindergarten not to ever, ever, ever do, you should do it. Talk to strangers and they will, you know, lead, lead you somewhere. Hop on the bus, the train, the, the whatever system. Get on something and just go where it leads and see where you end up and like explore and see some new things and then be open to the journey you know like um, it's not about the destination it's not about you know checking off the things in the guidebook just be open to the destination this new thing and I read all that and I I thought that's really like romantic you know like it's it's nice it's nice. I, I, I like. Oh, let me let me get a friend, and we're gonna and we're just gonna kind of wander the streets, and it's gonna be it's gonna be beautiful. Sound, sounds pretty good to me. Um, to to sort of get off the beaten path, and while I think that is good advice for maybe traveling at times, um, I think it's also good advice for life. I think there's a a, a beaten path. There's a well worn. This is the way you should go path in life, and I think. There's a lot of value to be had if we will intentionally get off that track, if we will get off track on purpose, if we will, if we will say, you know what, I'm, gonna, I'm not going to follow that. I'm going to walk a completely different direction in my life. Now, the, the American track, I don't know if this is true all over the world, but the American track and maybe the Western world, the track looks a little bit like, you know, go through the school system, get good grades so you can get into a good college, go to college, study something um, and so you can get a good job. And when you get a good job, you can get maybe a good spouse. That would be great. And then you get a good house in a good neighborhood. Um, and, then, and then you have good children or, or children, and we'll see if they're good. We'll have the, and then you're going to raise them up, and then they're going to go, and then you're going to retire from your good job in your good house, and eventually you're going to sell all that. You're going to move to Florida, and you're going to play shuffleboard, and that is the, kind of the flow. I, I don't know if they play shuffleboard anymore. I may need to update that. I know when I'm retiring, we're going to play Call of Duty in, in the senior living home. I'm not sure. Uh, I don't think I'll play shuffleboard. But anyway, um, that is the path. That is the track that a lot of people were on. But what would it look like to get off of that track, to maybe do something different? Now, now for some people, 
they get off that track not on purpose, right? Like, they, 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 may, they may go like, yeah, that's kind of the plan for my life. That's the way I'd like it to go. But, but stuff happens. Uh, serious stuff, you know. Um, someone dies close to you that you, that you love. Uh, disease, you get, you get sick, uh, and, and something happens and it pulls you off that path. You have to drop out of school. You didn't get to go to the school that you wanted to. Uh, you, you tried dating, but you didn't find the one. You, you were unable to have children. Like, there's a lot of stuff that comes up in life where it pulls us off the path, and, 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 off, and, and we end up getting off track. Well, what would it look like to actually get off track on purpose? Um, because I, I think the path that America presents for us is fine, it's not bad. It's just lesser than what God calls us to. I, I think there's something greater. There's things that are greater that we could be pursuing. And I believe he calls us to move off track on purpose. So for the next six weeks, we're going to talk about that idea of what is the direction that culture moves in certain things, and then what are ways that we are called by God as followers of Jesus, as apprentices to him, what are the ways that he calls us to move off of that path and do something different, to not just be like our neighbors, to not just be like everyone around, to not just swim with that current, but to, to go, no, I'm going to go off to the side and try something different. What are the things that we believe as followers of Christ that are off track with culture? And then what are the actions we should take as followers of Christ that are off track with the culture? Um, I, this idea has been brewing in me for some time. And I think 2020 has really, um, if, if anything, 2020 has laid bare the deceptive and hollow philosophies of our world. It, it, it's all well and good to never question the track that you're on, the path that you're on, when things are working out, when, when the economy is good, when people you know are mostly healthy, like when, when, when you can go to any restaurant you want and you don't have to wear anything special for it. Like, what, like when, when that is the world and that's the life that we're living, it's really easy to just go like, yeah, things are fine, and you don't question the track. But, but something's happened this year where, where it seems like reality has shifted, and, and, and we're, we have the opportunity to question the track that we're on. And, and, and I've seen it is very clear that followers of Jesus need to step off of the track, need to step off of the path that the world is on. Um, we need to be out of step with the culture. Now, sometimes followers of Jesus are out of step in the cult, out of out of step with the culture. They're off that track, and it's not great. Like it's embarrassing, right? Like sometimes uh, it's, I, there's there's a there's a cringy factor, I think, to to a lot of followers of Christ when you see the things they post or they write or videos they make or whatever. You're just like, ugh, like that's so weird and awkward. Why are you so weird? And so some of it is not great. But some things we need to step out of line with the rest of the world, and that's actually a, a, a good thing. So in this series, we're going to talk about beliefs that we have that are off track and actions that we have that are off track from, from the, the main culture. And today I want to talk about uh, a very high level to start with, a, a foundational belief that Christians have that actually puts them out of step with the rest of culture and it has huge, huge implications. This is a really, really big deal, what we're going to talk about, because this belief, this, this worldview set here that we're going to talk through actually shapes all the other beliefs that you have in your life. It's, it's a really big deal. And if you've um, 
All of our concerns about the future, all of our worry about a virus, all of our uh, uh, hope that we're putting in politics, all of our thoughts about money or sex or, or, or power or gender or class differences or race issues, all of that really stems back to this big question and how you answer the question, okay? I know I've set that up really big. I'm not going to like make you wonder what it is for the next 20 minutes. Let me just put it out here right up front. Here is the big issue. When I, when I give you this question, you're going to be like, that, that's not that big. It's huge. Here's the question. Where do we come from? Now, I don't even know if that's grammatically correct. I'm not sure. I didn't have my wife check it. Maybe it's like, from where do we come? I, I don't know. I don't know. Uh, but that's how we say it. Where do we come from? Like the origin of us. What is the story that we believe? Because what you believe about that matters in how you live your life today. It does. You just maybe don't recognize that that's always going on in the background. The, the answer to that question is upstream of many of the issues that we face in society today about race, about dignity, about identity, about hum, uh, human rights, free speech. All of that stuff is rooted in our answer to that question so we need to talk about it. The, let's talk about the current cultural answer to that question and then, and then how, we, how we can get off track from that. The current cultural answer in the, in the mostly secular Western world, um, which America and you know, other countries, the current answer to that question is where we came from. Uh, you can go all the way back to your like, science textbook from like first grade. If you remember back, and I grew up in the public schools in Florida, which... When I grew up in them, they were 48 out of 50 of public schools. So I didn't get the greatest education, but I'm sure it would be fine. Um, the, the answer to that question of where do you come from, it's not like it's asked and answered exactly, but you get this origin story of humanity. And, and the story is told that the universe is 13.8 billion years old, because, you know, that's what the calendar says. or what, Like, I don't know, we track that. And it's 13.8 billion years old. And it started with this big bang, this idea that there's this, there's this little dot, very, very tiny, and then exploded, and the universe kind of ex is expanding outwards. And as we can track how the universe is expanding outwards, you go, well, if you wind that back, it eventually comes to a little point, 13.8 billion years ago. And then 4 billion years ago-ish, give or take a few bill, uh, the universe... Uh, the, the, the earth was formed, and then there was like, um, you know, water on the earth, and then this land mass is formed, and then vegetation, and these like single-celled amoebas, and you know, you kind of remember the story, right? You saw the, the little swimmy little amoeba things, and then, and then it like developed, um, and you've got the troglodytes and all the, you know, the different things, and then there was these animals, there's like fish, and then there's birds, and there's animals, and then very late in the story, um, humanity comes along. We're only, I don't know, 100,000 years old or something. There's this evolution of like these animals that start to stand more upright, and you've seen like the evolutionary chart of like to mankind, right? That is the origin story. That is where do we come from? We come from a process of like physics and chemistry and all of that kind of work together to bring us to, to where we are today. Um, and what is either spoken or unspoken behind that is that there is no intelligence behind that process. It is, it is a blind process. It's, it's merely science. It's why that all worked out to bring us to where we are today. One of the most 
a brilliant scientist and maybe the most famous atheist in the world, if you can be famous for that, but I guess he is, is Richard Dawkins from, from England. And, and, and he's written a lot of books around, around this stuff and around origin stuff. And one of his most famous books is called The Blind Watchmaker. The idea that a watchmaker tunes things up uh, to, to, to get the watch to work perfectly. And he takes that idea and says, no, the, the process of evolution um, is if, if there's a watchmaker, he's blind. There's no, there's no discernible intelligence around it. And, and listen to what he says. I want to read you a quote from that book. Um, this is interesting. Listen to what he says. All appearances to the contrary, the only watchmaker in nature is blind forces of physics, albeit deployed in a very special way. A true watchmaker has foresight. He designs his cogs and springs and plans their interconnections with a future purpose in his mind's eye. Natural selection, the blind, unconscious, automatic process which Darwin discovered and which we now know is the explanation for the existence and apparently purpose form of all life, has no purpose in mind. It has no mind and no mind's eye. It does not plan for the future. It has no vision, no foresight, no sight at all. If it can be said to play the role of watchmaker in nature, is the blind watchmaker. So what's he saying? Even though it looks like there's design to the world and the universe, there isn't. It, the, if there's a watchmaker, he's blind. There, there's, there's no like intelligence or design behind this. And, and this is where I get frustrated with, with, with people like him who, who will say, um, hey, here's science, and then he'll make a leap out of science into an origin thing or, or a philo- philosophical thing or a theological thing that I think is like, I just want to be like, stay in your lane, Dawkins. Talk to me about science. Tell me about bats and, and, and their, their, their system, and it's really cool. But when you go here, you're out of your lane, and you're talking about something that's not really in the realm of science. Like, you're talking about... And, and it's weird, too, because he's saying, well, there appears to be some intelligence, but don't let that fool you. There is none. And I'm like, really? Really? So that, that's, that's the, the, um, the, the origin story. And there's implications of the origin story for us, if that's what we grow up with, and that's what you believe completely. The, some of the questions you should ask are, well, if I'm evolved from an animal only, that's all of the, to the story, then I'm basically just an advanced, fairly advanced animal. And if so, I could take cues from the animal kingdom. I don't need to be moral. I don't need to be good. I don't need to worry about the purpose in life. I don't need to pursue any of that kind of stuff. In fact, if survival of the fittest is, what I should do is try to be fitter. And I I can justify eating those I don't like and killing them and destroying and taking from them. And if if I want to be racist, I can be racist because we're just animals and I'm just a better animal than you. And we can do that game. Those are implications because there's nothing, there's no intent intelligence holding you back on that. It's all natural. It's all physics. It's all chemistry. Just do whatever you want to do. If it's just you and me, baby, and we ain't nothing but mammals, we'll do whatever we want, right? That's, that's the story. Now, few people say that out loud, right? Because it's really depressing. The idea that there's nothing behind us, that it's all meaningless, and you can really just do whatever you want because nothing ever really matters. Like, it's depressing, and, and people don't live that way. You can believe that story, that origin story of where we come from, and just say it's, all, it's entirely just that, and there's no intelligence behind it, but you don't live that way. You live like how you act matters. You live like love is a thing, and it's real, and that you care about people, and you want to do things for them. Like, 
you don't live consistently with that, with that worldview. But that's where it is. Um, I, this is where I think the Christian worldview shines. Now, let me take you back to the Scripture, uh, to the beginning of the Bible, okay? Um, if you were to open up a Bible and you get past the table of contents and all that, and you just start the book at the beginning, we get the book of Genesis, which is an origin story book. Um, and Genesis chapter 1, verse 1, the beginning of the whole Bible, this is how it starts. In the beginning, God... All right, that's not even the whole verse, but I've got to stop right there. We're four words in, and we've already learned a couple things. Four words in to the origin story that Christians believe and Jews believe, right, that, that trace their or that would say this is the way it goes. Uh, we've learned a couple things. One, that there's a beginning. That life had uh, or, or that the universe had started somewhere. Um, and, and number one, we learned this, that there is a creator that's in the beginning God, uh, he, he's the one who, who, who did something. It's important, there's important things in there. In, in the beginning, God, God was there when things started. Not every worldview believes there were a beginning. I mean, if, if you read the science textbook, and it's, okay, the, the universe began 13.8 billion years ago. Um, a, a Hindu worldview would say uh, there's no beginning. There's no end, really. It's all just cyclical. So the, or, the idea that time is linear doesn't necessarily make sense in that worldview. So it's not like everybody believes there's a beginning. So Christianity comes along, and Judaism here comes along and says, um, there is an origin to the world, and at the beginning of, of, of everything, there was God. That's different than other worldviews. In the ancient world, uh, they had origin stories too, but what they believed is that, is that the material universe, the things that we can see and smell and touch, all of those things were there first, and then deities came along later. The gods were kind of an, an, an addition to the world that we have. That was kind of part of their origin story. And, and this comes along right at the beginning. It comes out firing, and it says, there was a beginning, and there was intelligence behind it. There was a God who set everything in motion. Um, it, it, let me read the whole verse to you. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. This is what he did. What does this tell us? That there's a intelligent design behind it, and it is a creation. Like, he brought it into being. He made it happen. The heavens, the, the universe, all the things that we see, and the planet that we live on, God put those things together. Imagine you're going on a hike, and you're out in Appalachian Trail, you know, and you're just walking and whatever, and you come, and you're walking through, and you see trees and rocks and the, the dirt and all that, and then you come across a Pepsi can, and you, you go, oh man, somebody like littered, and you pick up the Pepsi can because you're responsible, and you put it in your bag to carry it out of there when you leave, right? When you see the Pepsi can, I know you don't have this whole thought process in mind, but when you see a Pepsi can in nature, you don't go, huh, they must grow cans out here in this part of America, you know? Like, oh, that just like sprouted up from the earth. Like, I guess there's like some can seeds that are, right, you don't, you don't do that. You go, uh, you see the thing and you go, you think, oh, someone, whether you think it or not, someone intelligent made this thing. They forged it out of something else and then they left it there. A, a Pepsi can screams intelligent design to us. We go, like, this is clearly intentional. Look at the lines. Look at the way it was done. There's writing on it. It was intentional. But for some reason, the can screams intentional, but the rock doesn't to us. The tree doesn't. We don't think, oh, that was really intentional. There's a tree there. We just go, it's nature. It's natural versus it's, it's the created world. But what if 
the natural thing is, is as created as the Pepsi can is? What if it's as thoughtful and intel- there's as much thought and intelligence behind the tree and the river and the mountain and the rock? What if there's intelligence behind those things as well, not just the Pepsi can? What if the natural world was more like the Pepsi can, that, that someone thought it through? I think if you look at a microscope or a telescope, you start seeing evidence of design. You start seeing, you, you, you understand the human genome and the people that have mapped it out go, like, look, in your mother's womb, the, the, the DNA of your entire life is coded at a very, very small level. All the instructions, all the intelligence of, of your life is all kind of there from conception. It's all, it's all right there. That's, that's incredible, the amount of information that's in there. It suggests that there's a creator who's like actually made the blueprints and put the plans together for how things, for how things work. Uh, it's, it's brilliant. And so when we need to think that there's intelligence behind the things that we see. Mountains, yes. Rocks, rivers, trees. The, the love of a mother to her child. A symphony. The fact that there's music at all that we can enjoy. The feeling of love. These things come from, uh, are, are created. They're not chance. They're not accidental. The second thing we can learn from reading Genesis is there, there is an order to creation. There's an order to creation. Genesis 1, 3 through 8 says this. And God said, so this is continuing on in the creation story. And God said, let there be light. And there was light. And God saw that the light was good. And God separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day and the darkness he called night. And there was evening and there was morning the first day. And God said, let there be an expanse in the midst of the waters and let it separate the waters from the waters. And God made the expanse and separate the waters that were under the expanse from the waters that were above the expanse. And it was so. And God called the expanse heaven. And there was evening and there was morning the second day. This goes on, on like this for five days uh, through Genesis uh, where, he, where he explains that there is evening, there's morning. And there's, a, there's an order to creation. Now when you listen to it, and if you were to read it in, in, in your Bible, you would see it, it flows like poetry not like prose. It does not read like a history or a science textbook. It, it kind of rolls out like there's evening and there's morning the first day. There's evening and there's morning the second day. And we kind of go through this thing and, and God did this and then he, he put this part and then he separated this and he made this happen. And, and over and over you just see this kind of flow. Well, one thing to notice there then is, is that the reason that it's poetry is that this was, would have been originally passed on with an oral tradition where it would be spoken word. And poetry is easier to remember than prose. And so Moses, in writing this down, is trying to let us know, like, hey, this is really important. I want everyone to remember. I want people to be able to repeat it. So I'm going to put it in this poetic form so we can see how the, the world, the, here's the origin story. Here's how things came to be. Uh, but, but, but also the things I think you notice as you read through it is how often God is mentioned. God did this. God did this. God separated this. It, it is underscoring in our origin story, the author of the whole thing. It is saying there is a creator and this is um, what he's done. There's an order to the creation of, of what he's doing. Um, and, and, and I think that's important for us to know. And, and this is where I think our evolutionary story from elementary school and the Bible story can, can have some overlap um, if we remember what they're really about. The evolutionary story of the universe was created 13.8 billion years ago is trying to answer the questions when and how. Um, when was, when did the, if we say origin story, I wanna go like, oh, how did Peter Parker become Spider-Man? And when did that happen, 
right? It's when and, and how did it go. Uh, the Bible is not trying to tell you when and how. It does not say 4.5 billion years ago, God created. Like, it doesn't do that. The Bible is trying to tell you why and who. It's trying to say, here's the author, and this is what it's about. This is the purpose for us being here. I actually think if you compare the seven days of creation um, and, and you look at the way they're laid out and then you look at the evolutionary story that you've learned through science class and, and all that and you lay them side by side, you would see a ton of similarities. You would see the earth and then the water and then the land and then the vegetation and the fish and the birds and then the animals and then the humans. That's basically the Genesis story. It lays that out. It calls them days. It doesn't call them four billion years or whatever, but it lays that out as well in, in, in a pretty similar order. In fact, there's some interesting things. Um, in day five of creation, God creates all the animals, um, which you go, okay, so one day God said, now there's a bunch of animals, and there's a bunch of animals. That's a little weird, right? The evolutionary story we're told is single cell, single cell, and then these things evolve and, and evolve to more complex organisms. Except that in science class, you may remember this, there's something called the Precambrian explosion uh, in, in the fossil record. So, and it was, you know, 580 million years ago. So it was a while back. Um, 580 million years ago, the fossil record indicates we have single-cell, uh, non-complex organisms, and then suddenly there's a whole bunch of stuff. That's the fossil record. That's not the Genesis. I'm not talking about the Genesis story. It just says there wasn't much, and then there's a whole bunch of stuff, a bunch of different animals and stuff, like the, this explosion. Who can explain it? I don't know. In Genesis 5, it says God said there'd be animals, and then there's a bunch of animals. I, I think those things overlap pretty well. Maybe Genesis is, is in a poetic way explaining something that science has also sort of figured out, like, huh, there was not a lot of diversity and suddenly there's a ton of diversity. So I think it's pretty cool. God did all of that, and he did that to set up his crowning jewel creation, uh, humanity. Genesis 1, continuing on, verse 26, listen to what it says. Then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heaven and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And this is a third point. You are God's creation. You are God's creation. The, the pattern shifts in day six. It, before, it's like God's doing this, God's doing this. And then in day six, God starts talking to himself. Let us, who's the us, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, this, this community that is God, let us make man in our image. And it, he didn't say that about your dog. He didn't say that about cats. He didn't say that about giraffes. He didn't say about the plants. There was no, no one else is being made in the image of God except humanity. Then humanity comes along and he says, let us make man in our image, which means um, you have you and I have the fingerprint of God on us and the nature of God in us. This is what makes us different. It's not that we're just more evolved or uh, we've moved beyond enlightened self-interest and all that kind of stuff. Um, we have the moral nature of God inside of us. We, we have this sense of right and wrong. We have a sense of guilt and shame. We have a sense of, of these are good things to do. These are higher values to pursue. Uh, this is a greater purpose that we should live for. That stuff is in us. It's inescapable in us. And the reason it's in us is because that's part of the nature of God that he stamped in us. Um, he made us different than, than everything else. And this is a huge point because the root, as we talked a couple weeks ago, the root of racial tension is I don't treat, I don't treat you with dignity. I don't treat you, that you like you have the image of God in you. 
when we start treating people like they are merely animals and there's no dignity there, there's no uh, imago Dei, there's no image of God, there's no fingerprint of God on them, there's no soul in them. When we treat people that way, this is when we dehumanize them and, we, and, and, what, and when we start killing them. And in some sense, if you're going to believe just the evolutionary story alone, then why not do that? Why not be racist? Why not kill? Why not destroy? That's what the animal kingdom does. The animal kingdom doesn't care about other animals, really. I mean, it doesn't quite work that way. So there's something powerful there. You are God's creation, which should also speak to our identity. Whatever identity you want to wear, and it is the most fashionable thing in the West right now to, 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 to play around with identity and say, I'm this and I'm this, and, I'm, and, and let everybody self-define all the things that they are. But whatever identity you want to wear, and even, if, even ones like, you know, I'm a father or I'm a sister or, or you know, I'm an I'm a employee or a boss or whatever, all the things, that, all the hats you might wear um, at the root This lets us know you are created by God. You are God's child. You are his creation. Start there and then figure out all the other things around gender, around around, um, uh, work, around parenting or whatever. Start with you are God's creation. Um, You are endowed by a creator with certain inalienable rights. Sound familiar? Somebody back then was thinking about this, was thinking about Genesis in some way and saying, wait a second, this is self-evident. This is truth. We are made by a creator. We didn't, just, we didn't just chance show up. There's dignity in us. First and foremost, we are a child of God. More on identity. We'll talk about it next week. Um, this brings me to the last point as a, as a God's creation, number four. God calls you to be creative. God calls you to be creative. Listen to what God says, his instructions to humanity in, in Genesis 1, verses 28 to 31. After he makes them, he says, and it says, and God blessed them. And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And God said, behold, I have given you every plant yielding seed that is on the face of all the earth and every tree with seed in its fruit. You shall have them for food. Yay, vegetarians. And to every beast of the earth, and to every bird of the heavens, and to everything that creeps on the earth, everything that is the breath of life, I have given every green plant for food. And it was so, and God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good. And there was evening, and there was morning the sixth day. In, in the first five days, God saw that it was good. In the sixth day, he says it was very good. When he creates humanity, his crowning creation, he says it was very good. And God looks at humanity and goes, okay, I've made them. Here's your job. You need to be fruitful and multiply and take care and make something out of the world that I've given you. So God has given us the earth. We create the world. We create the culture, all the things. We, we build the beautiful buildings. We, we do the things with the raw materials that he's given us, and we multiply ourselves. We make more of us. He started with just a, 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 the, small, the small group here and says, okay, you go make more. Um, it's, a, it's, a, it's a powerful thing. God says, Hey, I've done my creative work. Now it's, it's your turn. Um, you and I were created to create. We were made to make. We were intended by design to, to make something of this world. Now, I think it's a weird thing in our culture today, and I think this goes back to books like The Rise of the Creative Class and things like that. I think it's weird how, in, especially in business world, and I don't know if you guys run in these circles, but you hear people talk about a subset of people called the creatives, 
probably heard that, right? Creatives. Um, and I think that's super weird. I, I, remember, um, I remember I got a tour of the Martin Ad Agency downtown years ago. And that was before they kind of renovated it in the way that it is now, I think. But I got this tour, and um, they were showing me the building, you know. I was a friend walking me through and said, okay. So we, we go in this one floor, and there's, like, cubicles everywhere. And there's a bunch of people, and there's you know, laptops, and there's screens and whatever. And there's, like, charts on the wall and whiteboards. And it looks, you know, kind of standard office-y stuff. And they, I said, oh, what's in here? They're like, oh, this is accounting and accounts receivable. And so, you know, they kind of track all the data and all that. I'm like, okay, cool. And then we, I think we went downstairs or something. We go to this other floor. And uh, we get on this other floor and you walk in and there's like bright colors everywhere. There's like, I don't know, a PlayStation over here. They got like slinkies, disco balls. There's like food. There's like a ping pong table. I'm like, now this is the floor. Like what? This is awesome. Like who works down here? And they go, oh, this is for creatives. Of course, those guys get the, you know, it's just like, and I was like, wow, what is, what's the deal? I'm like, this is the place to work is in this floor. Can I be a creative? Because that, that's like the spreadsheet people, they're like, but this is what we do. And we did it, we did it with architecture. I mean, even the way they made the, the space. We basically say, you people are creative, you people are not. And I think that is a disservice to humanity when we do that. That's not the way we were designed. Yeah, can you make a good spreadsheet? Cool. I can't. You're creative in a way that I'm not. I'm sure you've got things that I don't have. Not everybody's creative has an instrument or a paintbrush. Creativity is, is built into humanity, this way we are. It's not, oh, I just do these certain artistic endeavors and therefore I'm a creative. I would love, a, this is a mini crusade I will get on, to get people to stop calling people creatives. When really, if we're going to honor the image of God in a person, we are all that way. We are all called to create. Yep, we're going to do it in different ways. Um, but we are all creative. And so the question for followers of Jesus is, how can I use the creativity that God has given me to create something for his kingdom and for his praise and that honors him? What can I do with what I have, what the tools God has given me and whatever they are, what could I do that would honor him with my life? How can I be creative and, and, and pour out for, for him? That's, that's an implication of the creation and of the kind of the marching orders that God has given us. Those kind of questions, what can I do for God's kingdom? These are off-track, on-purpose kind of questions. This is not what everyone in culture is asking. How do I leverage my creativity for the good of God's kingdom? Those are off-track, on-purpose questions. And if you want to believe that some people are creative and some people aren't, that's fine. But know that when we do that, we're missing what it means, part of what it means to be human. We're not merely animals. We are creatures made by a creator and charged with making something. And I want us to understand all of this foundation around um, who we are and where we came from. Because I think it's going to be tested in the next couple months. I have said, and I wish I was wrong about this, and I hope I'm wrong about this, but I have said over the last couple months, I've probably said it here in a sermon, uh, I've said it in, in various ways, I have said, I think maybe the wacky part and the really hard part of 2020 is going to be the last part, not the first part, and I really hope I'm wrong about that, but if I'm preparing and trying to think wisely about sort of reading the tea leaves and looking at the culture and go, look, all right, predict where things are going, um, we may be in for some stuff here in the election season. And um, I, this is the time that the people of God need to keep their heads on straight and, 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 and need to remember 
where we came from and what our mission is. We're going to get into some more of this over the next couple weeks, but we need to remember who we are, whose we are, where we came from, where we're going, what our purpose is, because it'll be really easy to get sucked into the track of power and election season and grasping for power and all of that stuff that's going to be going on right now, and we need to get off track with that. And we need to be okay with it when, when we do. And, and, it's hard, and honestly, that sounds easy to say, but to live it, to be off track on purpose, it's, it's unpopular sometimes. I've had people tell me in the last five years, oh, Chris, I can't believe you believe that, or why would you do that, or why would you teach that, or what is that? I, I, don't, I don't agree with that. Or, or even they, they pull the ultimate in, in sort of the, the Western world. They pull the, oh, well, you're just going to be on the wrong side of history. I'm like, Really? Like, how do we know that? But that's, that's pretty hard to tell in the moment, isn't it? Like, if you're on the right side or wrong. Because I could go back to a lot of people who could say that over the time, and they ended up on the wrong side of history, right? Like, it's pretty hard to know that. But I think that's a reaction that people have sometimes when you're stepping off track. They're going, well, you're going to be on the wrong, wrong side. And, and we do need to be careful. We, we don't want to do something immoral. Um, but... But our culture has some tracks to it, and it has a way it goes, and we need to pay attention, and we need to hear God's Spirit speaking to us more um, so we don't stay on the path of the culture. Um, a British journalist several years back named Steve Turner wrote a, a poem about what culture is and where culture is going. And this is interesting. It's, it's partly satirical. It's probably half funny, half true, that kind of idea. Um, but he, he wrote this poem, and when I first heard it several years back, I was like, man, that is a, quite a critique of, of culture. But, but let me just put this out there as this is the track that the West is on. Um, and maybe you agree, maybe you won't agree, I don't know. And I don't know that the guy who wrote this was a religious person necessarily. Um, he was just looking at secularism, Nietzsche, philosophy, things that had kind of made its way into our culture. And, and then he writes about it. So this is his poem. It's called Creed. He says, We believe in Marx, Freud, and Darwin. We believe everything is okay as long as you don't hurt anyone to the, your best to the best of your definition of hurt and to the best of your definition of knowledge. We believe in sex before, during, and after marriage. We believe in the therapy of sin. We believe that adultery is fun. We believe that sodomy is okay. We believe that taboos are taboo. We believe that everything's getting better despite evidence to the contrary. The evidence must be investigated, and you can prove anything with evidence. We believe there's something in horoscopes, UFOs, and bent spoons. Jesus was a good man, just like Buddha, Muhammad, and ourselves. He was a good moral teacher, though we think his good morals were very bad. We believe that all religions are basically the same, at least the one that we read was. They all believe in love and goodness. They only differ on matters of creation, sin, heaven, hell, God, and salvation. We believe that after death comes nothing, because when you ask the dead what they say, what happens, they say nothing. If death is not the end, if the dead have lied, then it is compulsory heaven for all, excepting perhaps Hitler, Stalin, and Genghis Khan. We believe in Masters and Johnson, what's selected is average, what average is normal, what's normal is good. We believe in total disarmament. We believe there are direct links between warfare and bloodshed. Americans should beat their guns into tractors and the Russians would be sure to follow. We believe that man is essentially good. It's only his behavior that lets him down. This is the fault of society. Society is the fault of conditions. Conditions are the fault of society. 
We believe that each man must find the truth that is right for him. Reality will adapt accordingly. The universe will adjust. History will alter. We believe that there is no absolute truth, excepting the truth that there is no absolute truth. We believe in the rejection of creeds and the flowering of individual thought. And then he adds this postscript, which I thought was the best of all. If chance be the father of all flesh, disaster is his rainbow in the sky. And when you hear state of emergency, sniper kills 10, Troops on rampage, whites go looting, bomb blast school. It is but the sound of man worshiping his maker. I want you to remember that when you read the headlines that you'll read in the next few months. That all of this is maybe predictable, but it is the sound of man worshiping his maker. It is the sound of people saying, I'm not from anything really. I'm not created Um, I'm just here by chance. And chance is the father of all flesh, as it says. Um, Those are the results that that you get and they're to be expected. And and I'm asking not the whole world to believe this or do anything about it, but I'm asking the people of God to notice that track that culture is on and to say, I'm going to intentionally step away from it in my thought and in my action. And I'm going to walk on a I'm going to go off track on purpose. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, I thank you for um, people much smarter than me that, that can diagnose the culture and can say, notice what's going on and, and can point us to the greater things in life. God, I pray there's no one hearing this online or in this room that, um, that, 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 that there's, there's no one that, that won't come away with this with a sense of, no, actually, I am, a, I am a creation. I am created by God, and I have purpose. And God, may that be the beginning of a cure to an emptiness, to a purposelessness, to a, to a loneliness. Um, God, may we, may we recognize that, that you are sovereign, that you are powerful, that you are in charge, that you are in control of, of the universe and that you're there, that you've got order to this. And God, may we make something out of the raw materials that you've given us. May we um, uh, tap into our creativity and, and, and make something good for your honor and, and for your kingdom. Uh, thank you, Lord, for how you have created us and the order and care and thought that went into it and all the good gifts that we're able to receive because of how we've been created. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.